2 Kings chapter 25. We're going to finish up 2 Kings tonight, Lord willing. And uh, we're going to see just how it ends. And it's, it's pretty tragic, actually. And it just kind of it breaks your heart. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, as we go to your word right now, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We ask that you'd give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to each and every one of us. Lord, we pray for the people that are here right now, those that, were, that are watching on live stream, those that will watch later or hear it on the radio. Lord, may you minister to every heart. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. So as we come to tonight's final chapter of 2 Kings, chapter two, or 2 Kings, we're going to chapter 25 tonight. It's amazing how 2 Kings is going to end all the way back in the place where they began over 800 years earlier. They're going to end up back in Egypt. They were delivered out of bondage by God. God did such a great and awesome uh, deliverance for them. You know, they, were, they cried out to God. They were in bondage for over 400 years because of their rebellion. Then God delivered them out of bondage. And he brought the 10 plagues. It was so evident that it was God. It was the last plague, uh, the Passover, the blood of the lamb in the shape of a cross that delivered them out of bondage. Egypt was a type or a picture of the world. God delivered them out. When they, were, when they were backed up against the Red Sea, he parted the Red Sea. At Mount Sinai, he gave them the word of God. He led them through the wilderness with a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud between day and night. He had his presence upon the Ark of the Covenant everywhere they went. He dropped manna from the sky. When they went into the land of promise, he gave them victory over the enemy, over the giants that were in the land. And they prospered and God was blessing them. But as we've looked at kings, we have seen that over this last 800 years, since they were delivered out of bondage, over 400 years since King David, during all that time, we see them getting further and further and further away from the Lord. And that's an exhortation for all of us. It's not how we start, but how we finish. Amen? It's not good enough to have that early on, on fire walk with God, and then over time to walk away from Him. And so, God had delivered them, as we said, out of captivity. He had parted the Red Sea. He had led them through the wilderness. He had given them a land flowing with milk and honey. He gave them victory over the giants in the land. He gave a mighty men of God, Moses, Joshua, Caleb, Elijah, King David, Solomon. God had allowed them and helped them to build the temple, a place where they could go and make sacrifices to the Lord. They had the feasts that they observed that were constant reminders of all the things the Lord had done for them. And what did they do? They responded with rebellion. It all started all the way back in the beginning of Kings when Jehoram, we remember if he, he went out and what did he do? He built altars after, after Solomon had fallen and, and the kingdom was split in two. He built altars in the northern kingdom so people wouldn't go all the way down to Jerusalem, wouldn't go all the way down to the temple to make sacrifices. He made worship easy and he made it false. And we live in a time today that people, you know, want church just to feed their needs. They want to go to a church that satisfies what their flesh wants instead of what God wants for them. Before you knew it, they were worshiping false gods and idols. They were raising up false gods that we've seen throughout 2 Kings going all the way back to Ahab and Jezebel. We saw how they brought in because it all began with marrying unbelievers and when they started, the king started marrying unbelievers and bringing them into the land. They would bring their gods with them. And that's why we're called not to be unequally yoked with the unbelievers. Before you knew it, they had temple prostitutes in the temple that God had built 
and they were worshiping false gods. They turned their backs on God. And what did God do? He showed them grace. And he called them to repentance. He warned them again and again and again and again. And doesn't he do the same thing with us? Amen? We can look at Israel and say, what a bunch of knuckleheads. And we look at our own life and we're not far off. And the reality is that we too can blow it again and again and again. God suffers long as we've talked about, but there's a time for righteous judgment and it's coming tonight. After all these years, after all this time, we've already seen Israel dragged away. It's been about 150 years now since they've been dragged away into Assyrian captivity. Judah has remained for another 150 years, but it's about to come to an end. Look at the last chapter, verse chapter 24, where we were last week. Let's read the last three verses, and then we'll get into tonight's text. And here's what it says, beginning of verse 17. Well, at verse 18, it says, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. And he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Ahamatal, daughter, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. He also did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For because of the anger of the Lord, this happened in Jerusalem and Judah, that he finally cast them out of his presence. Then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. So you see there in that verse, because of the anger of the Lord. Now, some people portray God as being angry all the time. Some people falsely portray God as this guy with a white beard in the sky with a lightning bolt just waiting for you to make a mistake so he can smoke you. And you see that mentality. We certainly know that's not our God. Our God is a God of love and grace and mercy who suffers long, but he's also a righteous judge. And we're going to see tonight that God, after all these hundreds of years of constant rebellion, we see that God is angered. Do you know that God hates sin, but he loves you? But at the same time, if you choose sin over him, then you're going to be, deal with the consequences of sin and not know the redemption that can only come through Jesus Christ. False prophets told Zedekiah, it says there at the end, he rebelled against the king of Babylon. As we get into tonight's text, believe it or not, God had been using Nebuchadnezzar to bring righteous judgment, even though he was a pagan king. And some people struggle with that. Hezekiah really struggled with it. We'll see that later on in scripture. He was, did not understand why it was God's will to use pagan kings to bring judgment upon his own people. But in some ways, you know, let's apply it to today. God may use a, an unsaved judge to bring judgment upon a believer because we've gone outside of God's will. Amen. He may use people in authority in our lives that are not believers, and God may use them, and he's using them here. And so at this point, he was supposed to, Jeremiah tells, tells Zechariah that he needs to submit to the king of Babylon. And it seems so foreign, but a bunch of false prophets come along and tell him, no, you should fight back. And that sounds like the right thing to do. Sadly, we're going to see how all this ends in tonight's text. So if you have your outline, grab it. I tell the message, rebellion or fellowship, choose one. And sadly, you're either walking in rebellion against God or you're walking in fellowship with God. You can't do both. You can't live an openly rebellious life and be in fellowship with God. And if you're in fellowship with God, you will be grieved by your sin. Amen? And you will be, you will be heartbroken over it. So here's a, the seven things we'll see in tonight's text. Rebellion or fellowship, choose one. First, heed God's warning or ignore them. God warns us, and we're going to see that warnings have been coming for hundreds of years to, to, to Israel first and now to Judah. 
And we can either heed his warnings, respond to his warnings. Uh, along with warnings, we can use another word, conviction. The Lord will convict you when, before you say something. You know when you're about to sin before you sin. And we can either disregard what God says and walk in it. We can either heed God's warnings or we can ignore them. God is faithful to warn us when we're headed down the wrong road. And sadly, we don't always pay attention to his warnings. We'll see that tonight. Number two, run to the Lord or run from him. We're going to see that when they begin to, when the king, Zechariah, I'm giving it away, kind of like all, every movie preview you go to destroys the movie for you before you see it because you already know what's going to happen. Well, you're going to, I'll tell you what I'm going to tell you, then I'll tell you what I tell you, and I'll tell you what I told you, right? But so what's going to happen is the king's going to go on a run, and the place that he runs to and the place where he gets captured is Jericho. We'll talk about the significance of that because the first victory that they had in the land of promise was in Jericho when they were being faithful. And then we're going to see the final destruction take place in Jericho because they were being ungodly and they were being, walking in rebellion. Number three, sin removes defenses. We're going to see the walls being torn down in Jerusalem. And what that does is it makes it so they tear the walls down, even after they've captured all the people, even after they've taken the temple down, even though they've taken the, the capital down, what do they do? They want to take the walls down because they don't want it to be a place that is safe. They don't want to be a place that is guarded for, fu for the future. And so we're going to see as we move on through the Old Testament, we're going to see Ezra come back and rebuild the temple. And then we're going to see Nehemiah come back and rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. Well, you know what? The Lord gives us walls around us when it comes to sin. How does he do that? He warns us. He protects us. He gives us the Holy Spirit. And, but here's what happens. When the enemy tempts you and you give into it, first of all, he's a liar. Amen. And he will tell you, well, you just need to do this. Well, get this out of your system. Well, you're not getting it out of your system because your flesh will never be satisfied. But one of the things that does happen, your defenses start to go down. It's a lot easier to commit that sin the second time than it was the first time. Amen? As soon as you give in to that, as, you, as soon as you cross over that line before you know it, you're so far beyond it. Sin removes defenses. We're going to see number four. The unrepentant rebellion can turn what was once glorious into a pile of rubble. We're going to see that literally in tonight's text. The temple at that time was the most beautiful building on the planet. And we're going to see before tonight's chapter is over, it's a pile of rocks. And it's so sad because when it's used for the Lord, it's glorious. And when the Rebellion comes in, it's turned into a pile of rocks. So too can our lives be glorious and honoring unto the Lord, or they can be rubble. Number five, entering into God's highest. How do we enter into God's highest? We can enter through faith and obedience, or we can be cast out through idolatry and sin. See, we can enter into all that God has for us by simply obeying Him. Now, it doesn't mean that we're perfect. Bible tells us there's none righteous, no, not one. But as we're born again, new creations in Christ, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. He calls us to be holy because he is holy. And as we've been justified while we're being sanctified until the day we're glorified, we've been justified just as if, as if we've never sinned. Now we're being sanctified, set apart unto the Lord, be made more to the image of our Savior until the day we get to heaven. And as believers, we should be closer and closer to the Lord, not further and further away from him. And you're as close to God as you want to be. And there's a call to holiness and entering in to God's highest. I don't just want to save soul in a wasted life. 
I don't want to just get into heaven as by fire, right, where you're smoking on the way in. Just made it, right? My heart would be that heaven is our home, and that should be our priority. It should be our passion. You know, now that my son Mark is in heaven, and my parents are in heaven, my grandparents, and so many people that I love, I'm more heavenly minded today than I've ever been. And I'm so looking forward to heaven. How about you? And heaven's better. Number six, rebellion or fellowship. Choose one. Continued unwillingness to obey God's commands will take you back to the place that God delivered you from. Sometimes we see in our lives and we have testimonies and, and we'll give our testimony. What is our testimony? By the way, you should all be able to give your testimony. And it's something that nobody can deny. So when you're sharing your faith, one of the best things you can do is say, here's who I was and then I met Jesus Christ and here's who I am now. That's your testimony. And the children of Israel had a testimony. Their testimony was they were once in bondage in Egypt. They had rebelled against God. And after 430 years in bondage, they cried out to the Lord and the Lord delivered them and he brought them into the land of promise. That's their testimony. What an amazing testimony. Here's the sad part. They're gonna end up back in Egypt. They're gonna end up back where they once were because they rebelled against God. And guys, when God delivers us from something, we need to continue to remain humble and broken and desperate. We need to stay in fellowship and stay in his word because it doesn't take long to going back to be the old person you once were if you're trying to live for the Lord in your own strength. Amen? And then finally, the goal of God's plan is always restoration. We're gonna see at the very end, just a little piece of God's grace being poured out in a picture of the fact that God's desire, no matter how far away you get from the Lord, again, you can take a million steps away, it truly is only one step back. So let's begin there looking at rebellion or fellowship, choose one, heed God's warning or ignore them. Look at verse one. It says, now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, this is speaking of Zechariah, or Zedekiah, excuse me. Zedekiah has now been king for nine years. We know back in verse 17, and when he became king, it said he would be, that he reigned for 11 years. So he's coming toward the end of his reign. There's already been two times that Babylon has come into to Jerusalem and taken away captives. The first time they were there, they took away captives. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was a prince still. He wasn't the king yet. They took away wealth, gold, and, and silver, but they also took away people, and that's when Daniel was taken into captivity. The second time came, seven, years, seven eight years later, and the second time they came, they took more of the wealth, and they took more people, including Ezekiel. So he was taken into captivity in Babylon. And now tonight, we're going to see that third time, and this time he's going to finish the job. Nebuchadnezzar's going to come and he's basically going to uh, reduce Jerusalem, reduce Judah into nothing. There will, will be some people left behind. We'll see that. So in this ninth year of his reign, in the 10th month, on the 10th day of the month, that King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, all his army came against Jerusalem and encamped against it and they built a siege wall all around. Now, we've talked about this. At this point, it's now 588 B.C., uh, the first siege was in the, it's 600, I think it was 605 BC. So it's been about 17 years. That third, you know, invasion is taking place. But you'll notice that Nebuchadnezzar has a, a plan. And his plan isn't to just go in and kill everybody because he wants to take the best of the people. 
and he wants to take the best of whatever's left over in the resources. So they did a siege. And what a siege is, they would surround the city and not let anybody out or anybody in. And they would just wait for the people to get hungry, to get to the place of starvation. And then when they were completely weak and they were at a point where they were going to starve to death, they could just walk in and capture them all without having it to go into a great battle. So this was a, you know, if you were patient enough to do it, this was a way that wars were waged in those days. You just surround the, the, the city and, you, and the people come to a place where they come to the end of themselves. So Nebuchadnezzar has besieged it. And again, during Jeremiah, uh, during the siege, Jeremiah was busy at work. So, so the siege is taking place and Jeremiah the prophet is there and he's talking to the king. And I'm going to read this to you just so we make sure we understand what he was telling him. Uh, it says this in, in Jeremiah 32. You can look it up later. It's verses one through five. And it says, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah. So remember the ninth year, the, the, the siege took place. So now they're a year into the siege and Jeremiah is giving counsel to the king. And he says to him, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. For then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up saying, why do you prophesy and say, thus says the Lord? Behold, I will give the city into the hand of the king of Babylon and he shall take it. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape from the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face, and see him eye to eye. Then he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall be until I visit him, says the Lord. Now, the Lord is telling the king, you're going to be captured. Babylon is going to overthrow you. You're going to be taken captive and taken away to Babylon. And so instead of heeding the warning from the word of God, he takes the guy who gives him the warning and throws him in jail. You know, I don't like that message. I'm throwing you in jail. And if, are there any other prophets that got a word for me? And they only, want, they only want to hear good news. You know what? There's a lot of people that shop for churches that way. If they go to a church that's convicting, they don't want to go back. They want sunshine blown on them and told how amazing that they are. And they just want to, you know, they just want to go to a religious country club and have a rah-rah session and walk away feeling good about themselves. And we should feel good about who we are in Christ, but we should also recognize that we're sinners in desperate need of a Savior. Because without conviction, there could be no conversion. Amen? And so it's not always popular to just preach the truth in boldness. Well, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, tells Zedekiah the truth. And he's letting him know Babylon is going to overrun us. God has ordained it. It's consequence of, of hundreds of years of rebellion. And you are going to be taken captive. I don't like that message. Throw him in jail. So Jeremiah is sitting in jail for preaching the truth. Uh, guess what? I don't, he, he wasn't the last one. And he won't be the last one. Amen? More and more people will be thrown in prison for making a stand for the Lord. So he doesn't like the message. So he enslaves the messenger. But notice what happens in verse 3. By the ninth day of the fourth month of the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. So it took two years, basically. And they're in this position now where 
okay, we're, we're out of food. We have to surrender or die. And so now they're in a place where they're forced to surrender. He isn't going to kill all the people. He just wants to make them weak enough that when he comes in to take the city, they won't be able to put up a fight. So Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians had the people of Jerusalem right where they wanted. The victory was imminent. So God had, been, God had already warned Zechariah this was coming. He could have saved himself and his people a lot of heartache. They didn't have to get to the place where they were starving. He could have gone out a month into this and just said, hey, we surrender. Why? Because this is what God has ordained. This is the righteous judgment that's coming upon us because of choices that we've made. Instead, he's listened to false prophets who are telling him to fight against Babylon. And so he could have honored God, could have honored the warnings. Guess what? What God said would happen is still going to happen, but now there's more pain involved, and now he's walking in rebellion. So point number one, heed God's warnings or ignore them. He was warned, he ignored it, and we're going to see the consequences. Now run to the Lord or run from him. So now, you're, now you've been caught. Now you're done. Now what are you going to do? You know what the Lord has commanded. You've heard it through Jeremiah. You could just surrender and recognize this is God's judgment and go be the king to those in captive. You won't be the king, but still lead them and still serve them. Bring those people back to the Lord. Cry out to God. So what does this wonderful, amazing king do instead? Look at verse 4. Then the city wall was broken through, and all the men of war fled at night by the way of the gate between the two walls, which was by the king's garden, even though the Chaldeans were still encamped all around them at night. And the king went by the way of the plain. So King Zechariah took off. He ran away. He didn't run to the Lord. He ran to the world. He didn't heed godly counsel. He went in the opposite direction. He didn't respond in the way that God wanted him to respond. He responded in his own way. And we're going to find out just how that works out. To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. The highest form of worship is obedience. Now again, we're saved by grace. We're saved by faith. It's not by works. Amen? It's the grace of God. It's the mercy of God that saves us, that redeems us. But that does not remove the calling for us to be obedient to God. We need to be obedient to the Lord. And sadly, he runs from the Lord. He runs from God's plan and makes his own plan and runs his own way. Zechariah had done evil in the sight of the Lord. He had disregarded godly counsel. He tries to escape instead of facing judgment. Guys, are you running to the Lord or are you running from him in the midst of your trials? Where else are we going to go? Who else has the words of eternal life? Who else would you run to? I'm going to this thing called Grief Share on Tuesday nights with my wife at Calvary Chapel Oxnard. It's been great for us. And I'm in a room full of Christians and it's all Bible-based, and we have homework every night, and we break into groups, and we watch a 45-minute video, and it's just how to deal with grief from a biblical perspective, and it's, it's been fantastic. But what's interesting is there are people in the room that are there that say, well, I have family members, and you know, my, my, you know, our, our son died, and my husband has walked away from God. He's mad at God, wants nothing to do with God. He curses God every day, and he just wants nothing to do with God anymore. And his wife is there clinging to the Lord. Now, which one of those do you think is going to be brought through that grief? And it's so tragic to see that there's that temptation when things don't go our way, if we don't have an eternal perspective, if we're not walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, that we might run from the Lord like Zedekiah does instead of running to him. My prayer for all of us 
is that we would run to the Lord. We know that the city was broken into on July 16th, 586 from other parts of scripture. I just love how the Bible nails it down to the day. So we're about to see you can't escape the righteous judgment of God. See, righteous judgment was coming. So surrender to the Lord. Don't run from him. Because if he has to come get you, it's going to be worse. <laughs> Can I get an amen to that? Is it better when, a, when the police officer pulls you over to just go, I mean, or, or to run? Which one of those works out better? <laughs> Bringing a stick with him, amen? But the reality is, when it comes to the Lord, when, we, when we've blown it, we should run to him even when we've blown it. Even when we're, we know that we've sinned, we come humbly before God, oh Lord, please forgive me. Cry out to him. And sadly, Zedekiah doesn't run to the Lord. He runs from him. He's trying to escape judgment, then face the judgment that he deserves. And you know what he could have done? Faced it and repented. And what would God have done? What would God have done? Who would have forgiven him? And the world, we want to run from the Lord sometimes. We just think we want to postpone the, ju the righteous judgment. It's better to run to the Lord than to run from him. He runs into the plain. Now watch what it says. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king, and they overtook him in the plains of where? Jericho. All his army was scattered from him. So he runs, his army runs, they're all scattered. He's all by himself, and he's in the plains of Jericho. Now, we all know the story of Jericho, no doubt, but I love it that when they went into the land of promise, as they entered into the promised land, the first obstacle they had was Jericho, and Jericho was a mighty fortress. And then the word came from the Lord how they were to defeat Jericho. They were not to enter into a battle. They marched around Jericho, blew trumpets, and sang worship songs. So the Taliban show up, and, and our worship team leads us out to sing praise songs. Now, that takes faith. Amen? And they did it day after day after day. They obeyed the Lord and did exactly as the Lord commanded. No doubt, be, can you be, imagine the mocking that came from the top of the walls in Jericho? Look, they're singing down there. They're mocking you. And you know what? But God told me to do it. And I'm not going to do what the world says. But you know what it was? Because of their faith, what happened to the walls of Jericho? came tumbling down. They found, you know, the, the remains of Jericho and the walls fell out. And the walls fell, the Lord, Lord brought the walls down because there were people of faith who obeyed God. Now we're back in Jericho, not by chance. This time though, not operating by faith, but operating in rebellion, operating in fear, not trusting the Lord, but running from the Lord. And what happens? He gets captured by the enemy. See, when they walked by faith, they had victory over the enemy. And when, they, when you ran away in fear and in rebellion, you're defeated by the enemy. Amen? We can have victory over the enemy, but we must walk by faith. Faithful obedience brought victory and faithless rebellion brought defeat. And when the king is captured, all his men deserted him. I find that interesting too, because I think about King David. King David was, was on the run from King Saul. David was the anointed king of Israel and Saul was attempting to kill him. I'm still amazed that David went back to dinner with the same guy when he threw a spear at him last time he was at dinner. If I go to your house and you take a shot at me, I'm probably not coming back next week. But he went back because he trusted the Lord to preserve him. And what's amazing is, in King David's case, he was on the run, but his men would not leave him. 
David had the, remember the mighty men of David? These guys went with him wherever he went. They, they were with him after he became king, but they stood by him. Why? Because he was a man of God who was being faithful to God, being used by the Lord. And here's this man who's walking in his own strength, who's rebelling against God, and those men who were with him deserted him. By the way, a man who cannot follow is a man who should never lead. And David was following the Lord. And sadly, Zedekiah was not. Look what it says in verse 6. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they pronounced judgment on him. Now, even though Nebuchadnezzar's army is fighting against Judah, he's also fighting a war against Tyre. And so he's split between these two. He's got multiple wars going on. Babylon was the greatest of all the armies on the planet at this time, the greatest kingdom at this time. He's fighting multiple wars. So when they capture the king, they drag him off and they bring him to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, if he had come to Nebuchadnezzar freely and openly, I believe God would have protected him. I believe that uh, God could have still used him. We know that uh, there's some people in Babylon being used by God. Uh, Daniel, is Daniel being used by God at this very time right here? The answer is yes. Ezekiel, being used by God. There were people being used mightily by God in the land of Babylon, and Zedekiah could have been one of them if he had obeyed God, but instead he rebelled against God. Now watch this. This is about to get heavy. It's about to get really heavy, actually. Look at verse, so number, verse seven. Look what it says. Then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, put out the eyes of Zedekiah, bound him with bronze feathers, and took him to Babylon. So he could have marched into Babylon in obedience, and here's what happened instead. They brought his sons in front of him and killed both of his sons and made him watch. And then after they were both dead, they poked out his eyes so now he was blind, and the last thing that he ever saw was his two sons being put to death, and it would be the, th the one thing that was burned in his memory for the rest of his life. Boy, that's heavy stuff. But it's a consequence of his own rebellion. If he had obeyed God, this would not have happened. And guess what? When you disobey God, it doesn't just hurt you. It hurts those who love you. Amen. He disobeyed God and his, and his two sons reaped the consequences. And guys, dads, especially, if you're not being the spiritual leader in your home, your family is going to reap the consequences of the choices that you make. I announced this the other day, it's 93% of all families, if the dad goes to church, the whole family goes with them. Too often the moms have to go because dad won't come. And moms, you keep coming and encourage your husband to get to that 93%, Amen. So they killed the sons of Zedekiah. The Babylonians, they were not really known for being all that cruel for the most part. Not like the Assyrians. Remember what the Assyrians did when they took Israel away? They literally ran fish hooks between the lips and the noses and stuck it to the next person through the lip and nose and chained them all up that way. And they were all naked and they drug them hundreds of miles naked, being drawn by hooks in their lips and noses. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, we know from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and other things that he could be a violent king. And when he's opposed, he doesn't like it. And he was opposed by Zedekiah. And if Zedekiah had come with his own free will, he might have been alongside Daniel. We don't know. But because of his disobedience, the consequences were heavy. 
You know what's amazing? The Bible had already prophesied that this would take place. It's in Ezekiel 12. Ezekiel, keep in mind, at this point was in Babylon. Here's what he says. I will, it says of the fall of Jerusalem, I will also spread my net over him. He will be caught in my snare and I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans. Yet he shall not see it, though he shall die there. That was prophesied years before about Zedekiah, that God would bring Zedekiah to Babylon, but he would never see it, but he would die there. And you might read that and think, how could he not see it and die there? Well, if they poke your eyes out, you don't see it. And the Bible was true. Even when, if you had read it, you might not even be able to understand it. With his eyes put out and bound in fetters, he was carried to the court of a conqueror, the symbol of a man who rebelled against God and had been broken into pieces. See, a man who rebels against God is going to end up enslaved, in chains. And that's exactly what happens. He comes in marching in chains. Fetters are on your ankles and sometimes around your waist, onto your wrist. You can see those sometimes. And so you can't move your feet or your legs very well. And he's blind. And you can see you're not running away anymore. If he had run to the Lord, he wouldn't be shackled up the way that he was. It says in uh, Josephus, who was an early writer, it's not the Bible, but he said that Zedekiah was kept in prison until he died, and then he was buried. Uh, it says that also in Jeremiah 34, it talks about that. So, run to the Lord or run from him. If he'd run to the Lord, again, God would have forgiven him. There still might be consequences for his choices, but he knows that he's walking with God. But instead, he ran from the Lord and again, the world had its way with him. Point number three, sin removes defenses, beginning there in verse eight. And in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. See, now it was always being dated by the kings of Judah and Israel. And this is the first time that we see in the Bible where instead of things being, speaking of the years of the, 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 the righteous king, all the kings are gone now. There's no more kings. Zedekiah was the last one. So now they're dating it based on Nebuchadnezzar's reign because Zedekiah's reign is over. And it says, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. So there is a, a man, and his name is very cl close to Nebuchadnezzar, Again, his name is Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon. He comes to Jerusalem. So they besiege Jerusalem, and we've already seen the, the, the warriors have run away, run for their lives. We've seen Zedekiah be captured, but now he's going to go back in, and they're going to make their last you know, raid, if you will, upon Jerusalem. They're going to find out anything else that's of value and take it. They're going to take what's left of the gold and silver. Most of that's already gone, but they're going to take some more of it. They're going to take the bronze. They're going to take anything of value. And they're also going to take the people that they think can be of service to them. What it says there in verse 9, He burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem, that is all the houses of the great, of the great he burned with fire. And all the army, the Chaldeans who were with the captain, broke down the walls of Jerusalem all around. So what did they do? Solomon's great temple had been built 424 years earlier. If you were here when we were going through that and we were looking at the temple being built and how God divinely brought the best craftsmen, he divinely brought the, the best 
you know, the best lumber. To, he brought all the, the gold and silver that was needed. The people gave till they had more than they could use. And they built this magnificent temple according to the plan that God had from heaven. And they followed it. And it was magnificent. And God was glorified. And it was awe-inspiring. Fast forward 424 years, and now it's a pile of rocks. Now they've set, set it on fire. They're taking everything away from it that is of value. And then finally, they're breaking down the walls that surround it. Why? Because when the walls are gone, the temple's no longer safe. When the walls are gone, there's no safety inside the walls. People live in fear. Guys, this is why we need not live in fear, because our God surrounds us. Amen? And we don't have to be afraid and we don't have to be worried and we don't have to go to bed at night petrified and we don't have to be fearful of what happens after we die. Now, again, if you don't know the Lord, you should be afraid. But if you know the Lord, you don't need to be. God's not giving us a spirit of fear. But now there's no defense. The city's wide open. Any scavenger that comes by after that, there's no protection from the enemy. Guys, it's going to remain in ruins for many, many years. It'll never be the same temple again. But they're going to rebuild it later. Ezra's going to show up about 70 years later and start to rebuild it. Then Nehemiah is going to come along and start rebuilding the wall around it to protect it. But for 70 years, it's going to lay in rubble after God had brought them such a blessing and such a gift. And sadly, because of their disobedience, they missed out on what God's highest was for their lives. All the armies of the Chaldeans, that's another name for the Babylonians, and the captain of the guard, they came and tore the walls down. Nehemiah, again, would later come, and when he would see it, he would weep. They're removing God's Jerusalem's protection and making it more difficult for anyone to live there in peace. And again, if we don't have the protection of the Lord, we can't live this life in peace. So sin removes defenses. The nation had been in rebellion against the Lord and now their defenses are all gone. One of Satan's tactics is to tell us that we just give in to this sin one time, that the pressure will be over and God will forgive you and you can go on with life. What he doesn't tell you is now that wall has been torn down a bit and it's not as strong as it once was. And the next time the enemy attacks you, you shall have even less resistance against it. The Bible tells us in James chapter 4, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Amen? So we don't want to give in to the enemy. We don't want to give him an inch. We don't want to open those doors that he wants to use to come in and bring destruction into our, our lives and our families and our homes. And the only way we can do that is to walk in holiness and to be walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and to be in fellowship and to be in the Word and to have a, a, a prayer life. Lord, I was talking to, uh, I got a call yesterday and this is already happening. I'm doing a, a funeral this coming Thursday for a man who called me yesterday whose son died the exact same way that my son did. And he called me up and, and I'm only, I'm, it's five months ago today that my son went to heaven. So I'm five months ahead of him. And we talked on the phone for an hour and a half. And then at the end of it, he said, will you please come do a service? I said, absolutely, I will. I'll come do the service. Like, you know, how can we not? And he knows the Lord, but he's a heartbroken dad. And, and we just, we had that in common. And it's, and it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking because what, what happens is, again, we, we, if we don't take a stand for the Lord, the enemy is going to attack and he seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. Amen. 
And he wants to destroy our families. He wants to destroy our walks with God. Captain of the guard carried away captive. Look at verse 11. When we're on to unrepentant rebellion can turn what was once glorious into a pile of rubble. It says the captain carried away captive the rest of the people who remained in the city and the defectors who had deserted to the king of Babylon with the rest of the multitude. Here's what he said. Here's what happens. He comes in and he takes not only all the stuff, we'll see that in a moment, but he's going to take the best of the people. He's going to say, let me just take all these people back with me. And the only people he's going to leave behind are the ones that he sees of no value. So this is the third and final group taken to Babylon. Again, the first group was taken in 605 BC. That included Daniel. The second group was larger. It included Ezekiel, and that was in 597 BC. Now the last batch is being taken to Jerusalem in 586. So 19 years, they're taking all the remaining people. The only thing they're going to leave behind are the poor in the land. Look at verse 12. But the captain of the guard left some of the poor of the land as vine dressers and farmers. So Nebuchadnezzar's why, while he didn't want an enemy to be there, and he tore down the the temple and he tore down the walls. He, he did not want the place to turn into a, a desert. So what did he do? He left behind some who could continue to farm the land and have the land, you know, still produce something, but he also did not want it to be a threat unto himself. And so this is what King Nebuchadnezzar does. And again, why are they in this position at all? They're only in this position where they have to succumb to this, this captain of the guard because they didn't listen to the king of kings. Amen? If they had obeyed the Lord, they wouldn't be under bondage to the world. But sadly, because they disobeyed the Lord, they are under bondage to the world. Now it says, the bronze pillars that were in the house of the Lord and the carts of the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord and the Chaldeans broke into pieces and carried the bronze to Babylon. So they've already been sta- taking most, mostly a little more of the gold and silver is gonna go. So they've gone into the temple and they're taking the stuff that was used for the worship of the Lord and they're bringing it back to Babylon and they're going to use it. When you get to Daniel chapter four, you're going to see that in Daniel chapter four, there's this raging party and they're using the, the gold and the goblets that were used in the worship of the true and living God to worship the God of gold. And they're crying out to their God and they're having a drunken rager. And here's what happens. They're taking what was meant for the worship of the Lord and they're using it for the worship of the flesh in the world. But guys, this is not what we do every time we sin. We were created to worship the Lord and sometimes we allow ourselves to be used to worship the flesh in the world. Amen? We're more precious to him than these, this gold that was in the temple. The bronze pillars we're in the house of the Lord. We know that there were, it says that there were 18 uh, cubits tall. We'll see in a moment. That's 27 feet tall. So this is, this is magnificent. It was created for the worship of God. And it's so tragic to see it being torn apart piece to piece. It says that they took away the pots, the shovels, the trimmers, the spoons, all the bronze utensils, which were in the priest's which with the priests ministered, the fire pans and the basins, the things of solid gold and solid silver, there's still some of that left behind, the captain of the guard took away. And two pillars and one sea, the carts which Solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all the articles was beyond measure. So all these things that had been made and created for the worship of the true and living God 
are now being taken away and being used in the worship of the false idols of the Babylonians and for their uh, fleshly pleasure. So taking what was created for God and using it for their flesh. Then it says there in verse 17, the height of one pillar was 18 cubits, that's 27 feet. The capital of it was bronze, the top portion of it. The height of the work and pomegranates all around the capital, all of bronze. The second pillar was the same with a network. So one glorious and awe-inspiring temple of Solomon in the city of Jerusalem is now being torn apart. It's now being ravaged like in a riot. And now it's going to be left as a pile of rubble. And it's not God's fault. It's the people's fault. Amen? God had blessed them with a place where they could worship him, a place where they could go. And everything in, everything in the uh, temple is a picture of Jesus. We don't have time to go through it, but we know the bronze altar. Again, it's a picture of the cross that had four points on it. The animals were spread across and tied down in four places. Then their blood was shed. They go from the bronze altar and they'd pour out the blood and then they would go cleanse themselves in the bronze laver, a picture of baptism. We reach your hands in and there they'd be cleansed and they'd see a reflection of themselves. Then they'd go into the holy place. Inside the holy place was the, the golden lampstand because Jesus is the light of the world. Then you saw a jar, you had the, the table of showbread and they had manna and they had bread on, on it. Manna, excuse me, is in another place. But they had showbread and they had 12 loaves of showbread because Jesus is the bread of life. Amen? And they would feed themselves from it. And then they would go back to the holy of holies and just outside the holy of holies there's an altar of incense that... They had left, kept the incense lit 24 hours a day and it poured over the veil and would go into the Holy of Holies 24 hours a day. And that altar of incense is a picture where Jesus is. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for us. He never stops praying, amen? And then on that one day on Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, the high priest and only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, and when he came into the Holy of Holies, what did he see? He saw the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is a box, not a boat. Amen? And the Ark of the Covenant was overlaid in gold. And inside the Ark of the Covenant, there were three things. There was a jar of manna, Jesus, the bread of life. There was the two tablets of the Ten Commandments, because Jesus is the Word. Amen? And then there was the, the rod of Aaron, because Jesus is the great high priest. And then they would, inside there was the law. And if you look directly into the, to the Ark of the Covenant, you would drop dead. So it was covered with the mercy seat. Because see, it's the mercy of God that covers the law of God that allows us to be forgiven. And then on the top of that altar, on top of that mercy seat, were two cherubim or angels. And their wings touched at the top. And when the, when the high priest would go in, he would go into the hole and he would take the blood of the lamb and he would sprinkle it on the middle. So in the middle of the seat there, you would see the bloodshed and angels on each end. Now, I love this because it's clearly a picture of not only the cross, but a picture of the empty tomb. Because when they ran into the empty tomb on Resurrection Sunday, what did they see? Two angels on the end and bloodstained clothes in the middle that was always being pointed to as they wandered in the wilderness because God's hand was always, it was always pointing to his son dying on the cross that we might be forgiven. There's a Bible rock or what? And now all of that has been torn to pieces. All of that has been destroyed. Why? Because the people took their eyes off of God and put their eyes on the world. Because people 
ceased to be blessed by all that God had done for them, and instead were out desiring to feed their flesh. Instead of worshiping the true and living God, they started worshiping the false gods of this world. They started having prostitutes in the temple and having orgies and calling it worship. They were taking their babies and putting them on Molech with with its heated hands and sacrificing their children to the false gods of this world. And God gave them over 400 years to repent. And now the temple's been destroyed. So tragic. Guys, the Lord, such a picture for us. Look what all Jesus has done for us. Look what he's done for us. May we never lose sight of that. There's nothing this world has to offer us that compares to what Jesus has already given us. Nothing. Your flesh will never be satisfied. It's all going to burn. It's wood, hay, and stubble. It won't matter in eternity. None of it. Not long before my son went to heaven, he had bought a brand new, tr- uh, a new truck to him for his hauling business. He only had it for a week and the engine seized. And he had spent a lot of money and it lasted a week. And when he came in and sat down, he was, you know, a little discouraged, like, man, I can't believe this. And all I said to him was, I said, son, it won't matter when you get to heaven. Guess what? It doesn't matter now, does it? It just doesn't matter. Heaven's better. And it's so tragic to see that God had put all this on display for them and they walked away from it. And we, you know what? We're living in a world today that we are the most exposed to the truth of any people who've ever lived. We have the completed revelation. We have we have commentaries on the Bible. We have, you know, churches. We have, we have the Holy Spirit. We have more than anybody who's ever lived, more exposure than anybody who's ever lived. And sadly, we live in a time right now where Christian deconstruction is a thing, where people are walking away from the Lord and saying, I don't believe that anymore. And I got into it a little bit today with somebody online who was saying, I, did, I was a pastor for 33 years and I walked away and I don't believe it anymore. I said, bro, you were never saved. Because you know what? If, if you really know the Lord, you're not walking away. Amen? And if you can say, well, I preach messages. I said, well, I, 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 well, let's get some tapes of those messages. I'm sure they're a train wreck because you did not know the Lord. Amen? You've neglected the cross of Calvary. You don't know him. I want to encourage all of you. Do you know him? Are you born again? Does the spirit of living God live inside of you? You see, the first thing you wake up, think about when you wake up in the morning is you're on your mind all day long. Do you go to bed thinking about him at night? Guys, that's what it means to be married to Jesus. We're the bride of Christ, amen? It's so sad to see what happens. The beautiful temple where God was once glorified, where they would go in to the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement and sprinkle the blood. It's now a pile of rocks. I imagine scavenger dogs running through the rocks and it's just being torn up. Why? Because they worship the world instead of worshiping the Lord. Heaven forbid, rebellion or fellowship, choose one. See, the rebellion, what did it do? It broke their fellowship. Amen? It destroyed their fellowship and their walk with the Lord. So unrepentant rebellion can turn what was once glorious into a pile of rocks. What's, what's used for God's glory is glorious and fruitful, and what's used to fulfill the flesh is worthy of destruction. Point number five, entering into God's highest. Look at verse 18. And the captain of the guard took Sariah, the chief priest, and Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three doorkeepers. So here's what he's taking back with him. First thing he does is he's going to go in and actually take the priests that still remain. 
And he's going to bring them with him back to Babylon. Now, again, it could be that he doesn't want them to spiritually minister to the people. So he wants to remove them from them. Then also it says, verse 19, he also took out of the city an officer who had the charge of the men of war, five men of the king's close associates who were found in the city, and the chief recruiting officer of the army who mustered the people of the land, and 60 men of the people of the land who were found in the city. So what does he do? He's taking the warriors who have been left behind because he doesn't want those warriors training more warriors. And he doesn't really want the recruiter recruiting anybody. So what he wants to do is take the men of war who could be in opposition against Babylon. He's going to bring them back and they're going to retrain them to fight for Babylon instead of fighting against Babylon. And he's going to take the spiritual leaders who once proclaimed the truth of the true and living God and try to get them to become priests who worship the false gods of Babylon. That's exactly what they tried to do to Daniel. They changed their names to gods that worship and honor their god Baal. And then later, Nebuchadnezzar would build an, a statue of himself and force everyone to bow to that. Here's what happens, guys. When, no matter what happens, they're, they're under attack, and now they're going to take them back and indoctrinate them in the world. Guys, when you walk away from God, you're in danger of being so indoctrinated by the world that you forget you ever walk with God. Amen? And that's exactly what's taking place here. We're going to rip you away. The, te- the temple's destroyed. No more kingdoms are going to be built. There's going to be no more armies raised up. Nobody there to pray with you. Nobody there to point you back to the true and living God because we've taken them all away. We'll leave some farmers there to grow some crops, but that's it. Let that place become desolate. It's, there's definitely applications to our country today that they're trying to silence people that preach the truth. Amen? Took the Bible out of school. They, they, you know, when the pandemic comes, you can have strip clubs open, but you can't have churches open. There's an obvious misunderstanding of what's really important. Amen? And I know I keep saying this, but I'm going to say it again. I don't care if there's a black plague. I don't care if they're threatening us with prison. We will never have one Sunday that we don't have church. Amen? Period. Why? Because that's what God calls us to do. We obey God rather than man. Amen? And this is so tragic to see what has taken place and to watch as they're all being carried away and seeing the consequences of walking in rebellion against the true and living God. Verse 20. So now Nebuzaradan, he's the captain of the guard, took these and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. Then the king of Babylon struck them and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. Thus Judah was carried away captive from its own land. So he would bring, he brought back the spiritual leaders and some he had already brought and he's indoctrinating them. With these he didn't even bother, he just killed them all. Then he brings back warriors. He brought warriors before and was training them up to fight for them. He's not going to do that this time. He's just going to kill them all. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to destroy you. He wants to take every believer on the planet and, and, and remove us. Well, we're going to get removed, but we're going to get raptured. <laughs> Amen? And I've heard people say, the best thing that happened to our country of all the Christians left. Well, you're about to find out. <laughs> it's coming. Can I get an amen? And I promise you, you're going to wish we could all come. Oh, we are coming back after seven years. <laughs> amen? And we will rule and reign with them for a thousand years. But here's rebellion, and it's just wreaking havoc on the people. Temple's gone. 
army's gone. The last king's been blinded. The other king that was before him is sitting in jail. And Judah's no more. And God had warned them for 424 years to repent and to walk right with him. Guys, we don't have that long because we don't live that long, but God does warn us. Now, what's interesting, as we're reading what happened to Babylon, it doesn't seem to be a lot of like weeping in here. It doesn't seem like, they're just reading it like, yeah, well, then they took the guys and they grabbed these guys, took these guys and took them away. Well, if you want to know how the people felt when this was happening, read Lamentations. Lamentations is all about the people weeping because they were being drugged off into captivity in Babylon because God was bringing righteous judgment upon them. I've told you about Bible break when my kids were going up, you know, Genesis, where it all began with Adam and Eve and Abraham. Exodus, God had a plan to lead them out of Pharaoh's land. Joshua marched round and round to a wall of Jericho, fell down. Ruth was sweet as honey butter. She was King David's great-grandmother. But then it gets to Lamentations. It said, Lamentations, Israel cried all day because Babylon stole their friends away. And so there was weeping. And if you read through this, you would think that there wasn't. And no, there was no doubt a remnant. There was the Daniels and the Ezekiels and their, and their families that raised them. And there were those who loved the Lord in, in the midst of all of this. And many of them were being dragged away and they, they were watching as the temple was being destroyed and their hearts were broken. And we don't see it here. That's why it's good to have the whole counsel of God. You get to Lamentations, you're gonna, it's a whole book of weeping. And they're mourning over this taking place because it's heartbreaking to God and to his people. Point number six, continued unwillingness to obey God's commands. So entering into God's highest, how do we do that? Again, uh, even, in, even, in, uh, through, even through faith and obedience, that's the only way we can enter in. But we are cast out through idolatry and sin. See, all of that was removed because they were, they were walking in, in idolatry, because they were disobeying God. We can only enter into God's highest if we obey God, no matter what the consequences may be. We trust him. So continuing our willingness to obey God's commands, look at verse 22. Then they made Gadala, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphah, governor over the people who remained in the land of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had left. So when they left, they left a group of poorer people there, and they picked out a man who was not a descendant of David, and they picked out a man, they made him governor and not king. So there are no more kings in Judah. The last king of Judah was, was Zedekiah, and his eyes are out, and he's in captivity. Of the king preceding him, Jehoiachin is still there as well. He's also in captivity. So they make this governor king. Now watch what happens. Now when all the captains of the armies and their men heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah the king, they came to Gedaliah and Mizpah, Ishmael the son of Nathaniel, Nathaniel, Jehanan the son of Korea, Sariah the son of Tanamuth, and Nathothite the J. And Jezaniah, I hope they change their names in heaven, and the son of Machalite, <laughs> they and their men. And it says, And Gadaliah took an oath before them and their men and said, Do not be afraid of the servants of the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. So what happens is, now the remaining, that you know, some of those who had run away, they gather back together, they find out he's the governor. It's a poor ragtag group of people who are just, you know, mending the vineyards and, and growing you know, fruit and vegetables. And then there's some men who are left. And then they come to the, the governor and he says, we need to just, we need to submit to the, 
Babylon. Now again, Hezekiah, you, when you get there, he's going to see him losing his mind over this. He doesn't understand it. And it's easy to question it. Why would we ever surrender? Well, God had told him through Jeremiah to surrender because God was using Babylon to bring about the judgment because of hundreds of years of rebellion. And so what he said is, we're just going to go to Babylon and we're going to honor them because they've been put into that place of authority, but we're still going to honor God. And these men don't want to do it. Did Daniel ever waver in his faith in Babylon? What's the answer? And was he used mightily in Babylon? What's the answer? Kings came and went, came and went, came and went. Daniel's still there. How about Joseph? When Joseph was taken captive, was he used mightily by God? What's the answer? See, so he was saying, look, this is what God has told us. This is the righteous judgment has come upon us. We need to just go and obey. Now watch what happens. Verse 26 verse 25, but it happened on the seventh month. I'm not reading those names again. And all the people, verse 26, small and great, and the captains of the armies arose and went to Egypt, for they were afraid of the Chaldeans. It happened on the seventh month that Ishmael, back there, the son of, came and 10 men struck and killed Gadaliah, the Jews, as well as the Chaldeans who were with them at Mizpah. So here's what they did. These men who had come did not get the answer they wanted. So they did the same thing, but even worse than what King Zedekiah. What did Zedekiah do to Jeremiah when he didn't get the answer he wanted? What did he do? Threw him in jail. What do they do when they hear the answer they don't want from their governor? They killed him. Don't get any ideas. They get, but they killed him. <laughs> Some of you caught that. Some of you will get it later. <laughs> okay. Yeah, vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. Amen. So they killed him because he told them, we need to submit to them because God is the one who brought them. It's righteous judgment. It was our rebellion that brought us here. It's like if, if you were thrown in prison for breaking the law, and now you submit to the jailer. And that's exactly what's happening here. And when he didn't do it, they killed him. And then it says, and they all ran. And where did they run to? What does it say in verse 26? And they all went to where? They went to Egypt. Are you kidding me? You were delivered out of bondage in Egypt over 800 years ago. God brought you out of Egypt, and now your, your rebellion has brought you full circle all the way back to Egypt. And this is what can happen in, in a, a Christian family or in someone's individual walk. You're walking with the Lord, and for whatever reason, you take your eyes off of Him, and before you know it, you're right back eating the same pig slop you started with. Amen? And that's exactly what happened to the... See, if they had just kept their eyes on the Lord, they would have remained in the land of promise, the land flowing with milk and honey, and the Lord would again have never left them nor forsaken them. So the continued unwillingness to obey God's commands will take you back to the place you were delivered from. So we saw... Ishmael, the son of Nathaniel, and the son of Elishma, the royal family, came with 10 men and they struck and killed him. The Jews as well as the Chaldeans were with them. So some of the Babylonians gathered with some of the Jews and they all came together and killed the governor. Now, final verses here. We're going to see a little bit, a little glimpse of a hope for restoration in the future. Look at verse 27. The goal of God's plan is always restoration. Now it came to pass in the 37th year of captivity of Jehoiachin, king of Judah. Who is he? Who remembers? He was the king right before Zedekiah. And he was taken into captivity. You guys remember that? So he's been imprisoned 
for that entire 11 years that Zedekiah was reigning. Now, Zedekiah's eyes been poked out. They're now together in prison. And notice what it says here. The, they took the captivity of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the 12th month of the 27th day of the month, that evil Merodach, king of Babylon, his name's evil. I'm not even trying to hide it. Evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign. So Nebuchadnezzar is now gone. There's a new king who has taken his place, and he's going to show mercy to Jehoiachin to some level. And look what it says here. He released Jehoiachin, king of Judah, from prison. He spoke kindly to him and gave him a more prominent seat than those of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin changed his prison garments, and he ate bread regularly before the king all the days of his life. And as for his provisions, there was a regular ration given him day given him by the king, a portion for each day, all the days of his life. So the way this ends is we've seen the complete and total destruction of Israel and Judah. They're gone. We've seen that everyone virtually has been taken away captive besides a few poor people left behind. We've seen that the temple is gone. All the places of true worship have been destroyed. We've seen that, that, that Israel is now inhabited by Assyrians and, and Judah is now inhabited by Babylonians. And we've seen how far away they've gotten from God. And we see that they're now back in Egypt yet again. But this chapter ends that this man who, was, who had done evil in the sight of the Lord, who had been enslaved, is now being shown a small measure of grace to show you that our God is always and can always be a God of restoration. Amen? Amen. So, rebellion or fellowship, choose one. Can't have both. Heed God's warnings or ignore them. Zedekiah could have heeded the warnings of God and he wouldn't have had his eyes poked out and his boys wouldn't have died and he wouldn't have ended his life as a blind man in a place of torment. Run to the Lord or run from him. He ran from the Lord. Instead of when, the, when, the, when they came into the land, he ran. He ran to Jericho. And there he was caught up by the king. So instead of obeying God, he ran and the world caught up to him. We see that sin removes defenses. What happened? Again, when, when you begin to acquiesce to the things of the world, your defense, your walls are brought down. And we need to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and ask God to put a hedge of thorns of protection around us day by day. Unrepentant rebellion can turn to what, what once was glorious into rubble. I don't know how it's going to work in heaven, but can you imagine if God gave us a picture, a before and after picture of what takes place in this chapter? Here's what the temple looked like, and then this is what it looked like. I wouldn't be surprised. Entering into God's highest, you enter through faith and obedience, and you're cast out through idolatry and sin. See, because of idolatry and sin, they missed out on all that God had for them. God had great plans for Israel, great plans for Judah. God was going to use them mightily. He gave them victory in the land. They turned their back on God and they missed out on God's highest. God has great plans for your life. God wants to use you in a mighty and a powerful way. You can enter into all that God has for you by seeking after him, by obeying him, by surrendering your life to him, or you can miss out on it all by walking in idolatry and sin. And then the last two points, their continued unwillingness to obey God's commands will take you back to the place God delivered you from. Too often you see people that they have that walk with the Lord for a period of time, and maybe they didn't really know the Lord, only God knows, but, but something happens, something tragic happens, and they find themselves running back to the world, 
Lord, help us to always run to you. And then finally, the goal of God's plan is always restoration. No matter how far away you've gotten from the Lord, it's only one step back. And maybe you've been walking away from the Lord. Maybe you've been struggling and you're back in fellowship. You're back here tonight. God bless you. I want to encourage you, surrender your life fully to him again. Amen? Come humbly before him and say, Lord, I need you. Come to him humble, broken, and desperate. It's a prayer he'll only, always answer. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God of love and grace and mercy. But Lord, we also thank you that you've written it down for us and you've given us your Holy Spirit to help us to walk in obedience to your word. Help us to be people of the book, people of the word. Help us to walk in the center of your will. And when we sin, and we do, the Lord, you would drive us quickly to our knees coming humbly and broken before you, repenting, seeking forgiveness, that we might walk again afresh in the center of your will. Lord, I pray for everyone who's here tonight, none by chance, all by divine appointment. If anybody's here tonight and they've, they know they haven't been walking with you the way that they should, Lord, I pray that tonight will be a night where they come humbly before you and they surrender their lives to you yet again. Lord, light the fire in our hearts again. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said...